We're going to return to our series on the book of Acts here, all right? We've, we've taken a break from it for about seven weeks here, but we're going to come back to it uh, and, and take a look at it. The book of Acts, we're calling it The Spirit Lights the Flame because the story of the book of Acts is really the story of how the Spirit forms, lights, starts up the church, and then guides the church to spread around the world, all right? And so it's all about really what the Holy Spirit is doing, and, and that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to see that very clearly this morning. As we've looked at the story, a couple of things to remind you that uh, it's an honest story, okay? One of the things that's important is this is an honest story because we, we get the good stuff, okay? We've seen the church win. We've seen people be converted. We've seen the church act in love and truth and grace. We've seen all sorts of good things happening, miracles and so on. But Luke is honest with us. Luke, who wrote this book, he's honest with us. We've also seen the church lose, We've seen examples of greed. We've seen examples of hypocrisy, of in-church fighting. We're going to see some more of that and so on. We've seen uh, Stephen be martyred. We've seen James, the brother of John. Uh, we've seen him lose his life. And so th it's a real story uh, of the real church, just like this one, okay? Joys and sorrows all going on. It's an honest story, but it's also a traveling story. We said when we first picked up the book of Acts, that one of the ways to think about this book is to recognize that in Acts 1, we start with 120 people in, in Jerusalem, in an upper room, and they're all scared, okay? We start there, but by Acts 28, by the end of the book, Paul is in Rome, and he's preaching the gospel at the center of the empire, okay? The Roman Empire is there, and, and so the question is, how in the world does the gospel, the good news, the church, get from Jerusalem all the way to Rome? We're up to chapter 12. What we've seen so far is the first seven chapters, the church stayed in Jerusalem, okay, mostly by the temple. Chapter 8, they went out into Judea and Samaria, the areas around Jerusalem, that first kind of level of outside of the city, all right, Judea and Samaria. The end of chapter 8, an Ethiopian eunuch was converted, and so that brought the gospel down into Africa, all the way down to the southern parts of Africa, all right. Acts 9, we saw that there were Christians up in Damascus. And then um, in Acts 11, we saw the church in Antioch. And this is the one that's going to be really important for us for the next few weeks, all right? This church in Antioch becomes kind of the center of Christianity. It becomes the center of what God is doing, okay? And, and, and so we're going to, when we get to Acts 13 here, we're going to be in Antioch. Let me remind you a little bit of the city and, and what's going on here because the church kind of reflected the city it was in. That was a good thing, okay? It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Antioch, Rome was number one. Alexandria down in Egypt was number two. Antioch was the third largest city. So it was a really cosmopolitan, really big city. It was on all the major trade routes. Okay, and so what that means, if you, you know, cities like New York get people from all over the world, right? LA gets people from all over the world. Any city that's a kind of major trade route city ends up getting people from all over. And so Antioch is this very diverse, multicultural city. And the church reflects that. And I think that's so important that, that, again, God's setting all of this up to get ready to send the gospel across into the west, from the east where Jerusalem is into the west where Rome is, all right? It's a beautiful city. It's right on the Orontes River. When we talked about it in Acts chapter 11, we showed this picture of just kind of saying, I mean, this was just, it was a relatively new city. It had been rebuilt recently. It's on the river. It's, it's got a, a fair amount of entertainment activity going on, a whole lot of stuff. It's a great city, okay? And, and, and so that's Antioch. It had one other thing, one other thing, and that is it had two guys, Barnabas and Saul, who were there to lead the church, Okay. 
Barnabas and Saul were there and they were teaching and they were preaching. And it's from Antioch that we're going to see that the gospel, and it starts today, that the gospel goes first into this area that we call Asia Minor, and then it goes into Greece, and ultimately it will get all the way to Rome. So Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12, and I'm just going to kind of go through it and talk as I go through it, all right? And, and, and I want to just give you just some structure in your heads as we move forward, as we go through the passage, all right? Because there are kind of three key events that happen. It's kind of three parts. The second two are closely related to each other, but the, 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 the three different parts can be kind of helpful to think in your mind. The first part, the Spirit is going to tell the church to send out missionaries. And we'll spend some time thinking about that. Obviously, today is a day where we've been thinking about missions and sending people out, and we'll talk about how important that is. And then the second thing that happens, and this is, I think, going to be really fascinating, and it's really challenging for me, and you'll see why when we get there. Um, but it, it's going to be a challenge, I think, for all of us. But Saul, and this is where he becomes, well, he gets, he's always been Paul. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name, okay? It's not his pre-Christian and Christian name. No, he's, when he's in, in the area of Israel and so on, then he's Saul. That's his Hebrew name. And when he's in Greek areas, and that's where he's going today, then he becomes Paul, all right? So same guy, just different name for different place. Saul, or Paul, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, gets in the face of a Jewish sorcerer. I mean, there is a big-time confrontation here with somebody who's not a believer. And so we'll think about confrontation, all right? The, 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 just the third part is, is real quickly, but the highest Roman official on the island of Cyprus becomes a Christian and believes in Jesus Christ. And so those are the three things. Let's start, and we'll work our way through them. Now, verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. These were the leadership of the church. Some were prophets. Those were those who brought words from God, sometimes fresh words from God. Teachers more explained the teaching of the uh, apostles and whoever was there and so on. Um, but and so the prophets and the teachers, there were five of them. Barnabas is the first one listed. And I'll just show you where they're from to give you an idea of how spread out they were. All right. So here's, uh, again, a map. You got Africa at the bottom, Europe at the top, Middle East to the right. Um, <clears throat> Antioch is there. Barnabas is from Cyprus. All right. He's from this island right there, and it's where they're going to go first, okay? So Barnabas, a great guy, son of encouragement is what his name means. Simeon, who was called Niger, all right? Niger is an area in very central Africa, so Simeon would have been from down here in this area, okay? Simeon called Niger, yeah, that's where he would have been from. Um, and then Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is in current-day Libya, all right? And that place there, it's right on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. Lucius of Cyrene, and then Manaen, who, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So he had political connections. So we have some, obviously poor people in the church, but there are also some politically connected people in the church. And he would have been brought up in the area around Galilee. That's where Herod uh, was from and so on. So this is not Herod the Great. It's his son, Herod the Tetrarch. And then finally Saul. And Saul was from Tarsus, which is the closest place to Antioch. But you look at that, only one of them was probably from an area, and he's got a Greek name. And, and so these are all people from all over, uh, maybe some of, them, some of them Jewish in background and so on, but they are from all over, and they've all gathered in the church in Antioch. So this is the leadership team, and it's either they themselves or the entire church that gets together and worships and fasts, all right? Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they're there and they're worshiping, um, they're fasting, they're refraining from food, maybe water as well for a time. 
but they, they're, they're worshiping and they're fasting and the Holy Spirit speaks. I, I wish we knew exactly how the Holy Spirit spoke here. <laughs> Was it through one of the prophets? Was it like an audible voice that somebody could hear? Did all five of the leadership team, did everybody in the church, but somehow the Holy Spirit communicated to them. I don't know how that worked, but I do think it's worth us thinking about what they were doing when the Holy Spirit spoke. I think we want to be a church where we listen to the Spirit, right? We want to be people who are guided and, and directed and formed and pushed by the Spirit and want to be in step with the Spirit. Well, what happened to them to hear the Spirit? They were doing two things. First of all, they were worshiping. They were seeking God's face. Again, it might have been in corporate worship like this. It might have been just a time of small group worship. But they were, they were worshiping. They were focusing on God. And they were fasting. And really, the key there is not so much refraining from food as refraining from food as, as listening. So they were worshiping and then listening. When you fast, what you do is you say, God, I don't want anything to get in the way. I want to be hungry for you. I want to be hungry for your word. And so for us to be a church that learns to listen more and more, I want us to be that. I want to personally grow more and more in my ability to worship, but then also to listen, to hear the Holy Spirit speak. The Holy Spirit spoke to them and he said, set apart for me. Set apart from me. I want to look at that phrase. Set apart from me, Barnabas and Saul. Interesting. Just think about this. Okay, Barnabas and Saul, they're the two most important leaders. We know that from chapter 9, um, or chapter 11, rather. They're the two most important leaders in this Antioch church. And look at what God does. God says, all right, I want them to leave. Barnabas and Saul, I want to go. When we think about it, we usually think about a church and we say, well, let's send somebody else. Let's, we don't take the, the lead pastor. We don't, I, you can imagine the church kind of feeling like, whoa, time out. Take Manan. <laughs> take Lucius. Don't take Barnabas and Saul. We're not, how are we going to get along without them? But God knows. And God says, okay, I'm going to have you do this. Interestingly, there are a number of churches, and don't, I don't have anything in my head, okay? The Holy Spirit hasn't spoken to me here, but I do want to be available. But in, and I know in South America, that's the pattern for how they plant churches quite often. One of my some profs told me that, that, that they send out the senior pastor, and you go start a new church, and then we'll have somebody else run this one. That's, that's the original pattern. Interesting just to recognize that, I think, all right? And, and then to think about what does it mean to be set apart, what does it mean for a church to set apart somebody? I mean, we've talked about that. Stan and Bessie have been career missionaries. The church has set them apart for that calling. We have other missionaries that we've set apart. We have people here on staff who we've set apart for God, right? And what does it mean to do that? What does it mean? And I think what the best way to understand it, it actually has something to do kind of with holiness in the Old Testament, Things were holy to the Lord. It meant they were good, but it also meant that they were set apart for special use. They were set apart for special use. And so when we set somebody apart, when we ordain someone, when we send out a missionary, what we're doing is we're making them available for a special assignment. Okay, God is calling them to something. We all have assignments from God. We're all called to live out our faith. We're all called to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the people around us. We're all called to do that. But sometimes God says, okay, I want this person, I want this person to be set aside. And part of what that means, and this is why it's so good for us to take an offering like we did this morning, but part of what this means is to provide the financial support. Provide this financial support of these people. Now, sometimes Saul ended up working because he didn't want to depend on anybody in the local church. 
Paul was often supported by his other churches that have already been established, okay? And saying, all right, Paul, Barnabas, we're going we're gonna to pay for your needs so that you are set free to do this work. We are going to release you. And I want you to, and, and I don't know what, this matters to me, so I hope you can understand this. But when I think about my role here at Hillside, when I think about Eric, our role, and, and even really anybody pretty much on staff who does ministry stuff, on staff, let's leave it at that. In a sense, I don't see myself as an employee who gets paid for preaching. I don't see my, what I am is, what, what I feel like, honestly, when I was called by this church, what you said to me is, Ron, we want you to do this. And in order for you to do this, to preach, to, to lead, to care, to do the things a pastor does, we're going to take care of your financial needs. And so in a sense, you don't pay me for preaching. What you pay me for is to have the freedom to do this. Now, if I don't work hard, then you ought to fire me. But I, so there's kind of an employment thing there. But I, I, it's different. I'm not just an employee. People on staff of the church are not just employees. What you're doing is saying, we're going to pay you these expenses. We're going to free you up so that you have the time to do this. It, 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 maybe it doesn't feel any different to you, but to me it does. Because now we're partners. And it's not like, oh, well, if I don't produce... No, you're just saying, Ron, we want to make sure you're taken care of so you have time to do this and to be available. That's, I think, part of setting apart. And that's what we do with missionaries. That's what we did with Josh and Libby. Sarah, we're going to take care of your financial needs so that you can, and other churches joined with all those other ones as well, but we're going to take care of your financial needs so you have the freedom to go do this. That's part of what it means, I think, when it was set apart for me when God says that. But it also means to publicly affirm God's call. In our tradition, and I think it's right, when somebody's called into ministry, it's never just a personal call. It's got to be affirmed by a church. And I think that's how God's work, God works from this time on. It's never just God says, you come and do this thing, especially in leading churches and so on. It's no, does the church, does the body recognize the gifts and affirm those gifts? All right, set aside for me. I hope that was not just for me, but set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, to the work I've called them. And here I want to just ask one question and, and have you think about it, all right? When, remember this, when, when did Saul first receive the call? God says, set them aside for the work I've called them. Okay, I've already called them. It was 10 years earlier. And, and I think about that in terms of God's timing. I sometimes am like, God, let's get going. We gotta do this now, we gotta do this now. And God is a patient God. He, in, in Acts 9, when, when Saul is converted, and this is 10 years early, earlier, the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. That was 10 years earlier. And I wonder just how long Saul, how, how well, I don't think he was a patient guy. I don't think it was easy for him to just say, God, I'll wait on your timing. I think he was saying, God, what in the world am I doing? You might remember he went on to Arabia for three years. He's up in Tarsus. And I'm sure he was busy, but it was like, even while he's there in Antioch, I'm sure he was like, but you call me to be a missionary. You call me to speak to Gentiles. You call me to speak to kings. You call me to go out and here I and It'll happen. And, and I think for me, I just need to keep reminding myself of that. We tend to read biblical stories. And again, if we had not taken a break, this, the, the call would have been about five weeks ago. 
We say, yeah, five weeks, and then he goes. No, it's 10 years. And so if you're waiting, know that you're not alone. If you're waiting, know that God will do things in his time. It was about 10 years earlier that, uh, that Saul first received the call. So the church set them aside. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them. Again, they publicly ordained them, affirmed them, placed their hands on them, and sent them off. The, work, the, the Greek word there literally is they released them. Churches, in a sense, release. It's God who sends, okay? The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. So the church released them so the Holy Spirit could send them. They went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And, and, and here, this is going to be the first lesson. I'll come back to it at the end. But friends, the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. The Holy Spirit has a passion for people who don't know Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit wants us to go out, and it's important for us to keep doing that. The same spirit that guided Antioch needs to be here at Hillside. And we need to say, God, where do you want the gospel next? How do we do that? What can we be a part of? It's simply any healthy church will be supporting missionaries and Christians in other parts of the world and people who aren't yet Christians reaching out to them. So they went from Seleucia and sailed down there to Cyprus. So here's Antioch again. You get a little 3D map this time. The Orontes River there. Uh, Saul and, and Barnabas, they head down um, from Antioch down to Seleucia. You can see where that is. Um, it's just a little bit off the Orontes River. It was the best port in that part of the world. And they got on a boat and they headed to Cyprus. Cyprus is here in the middle of the Mediterranean. It is a Mediterranean island. It was beautiful. I mean, the, it's just a beautiful place to go. And it was Barnabas's home ground. So they're going back, in a sense, home for Barnabas. It's not that missionaries always go other places. Sometimes missionaries go back home to bring the gospel. Some of you do that in your families. When they arrived at Salamis, this is the previous capital of Cyprus, before they got there, about 50 years it changed, about 50 years earlier it changed, all right? So Salamis is right here in this part of it. Um, again, it's beautiful, it's Mediterranean. It's, uh, these are some ruins from that part of the world. Um, but you can see, people would want a vacation there, right? I mean, look at the water. It's almost as nice as Michigan in November. Um, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Okay, two things to note here. Whenever they did, and, and the first one is that whenever they went someplace, they always started with Jewish synagogues. This is Paul's pattern throughout. He goes to the Jewish people first, then to the Gentiles. His calling is Gentiles, but it's always Jewish people first. He goes to the synagogue. And in this case, there were several of them, all right? It was big enough to have a number of synagogues. There was a good Jewish population there. Kind of in an offhanded way, we're told John was with them as their helper. I'm going to come back to that next week, okay? Because <laughs> we're going to see John again next week. But it was actually Barnabas and Saul and John Mark. Um, I'll talk more about him next week. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos on the opposite side of the island, okay? Salamis is here. They came across to Paphos uh, over there. The, the most common route would be to go along the southern part, but it says they traveled through the whole island, so maybe, maybe they went through those mountains. Um, it, it was, a, again, a beautiful city right on the Mediterranean. It was a... It, when we think about... If you think about, like, a... Caribbean resort type place where people would go on vacation and, and, and sort of, you know, I mean, what happens in Punta Cana stays in Punta Cana. 
That's what it was like at Paphos. They had temples to two gods of pleasure, Aphrodite and also uh, Dionysius, god of wine and, and god of sex. I mean, and so this was a place, it was a pretty pagan place, okay? It was, it was a pretty pagan place. Um, and, that's, and that's where, again, so, so again, what we see Saul doing here and Barnabas doing it, they're bringing the gospel to big cities, but also right into the heart of pagan places. And this is where Paul is going to get in somebody's face, all right? And this is going to be, like I say, really challenging, I think, for at least some of us here. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And Luke wants us to just not like this guy. He is a scummy guy, okay? He's Jewish, but he's a magician, all right? Anybody who knows Judaism knows you cannot be a Jewish magician, you don't mess around with magic. It, you don't mess around with any of that stuff. The occult, you don't do it, neither do we as Christians. But, but for this guy to be a Jewish sorcerer, I mean, he was a magi, all right, a magic man, a, a false prophet. He, 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 he lied and made what was bad look good and what was good look bad. And, and his name was Bar-Jesus, which means son of salvation, Bar-Yeshua. Bar, now, this doesn't have anything to do with the Jesus we worship, okay? This would mean it was, his dad was probably named Yeshua, and so he's Bar-Yeshua, Bar-Jesus, all right? But he's the son of salvation. We'll come back to that. He's also known as Elamas. I, I, I say that just that hopefully it's not confusing. Same thing as Saul Paul. His Hebrew name is Bar-Yeshua, Bar-Jesus. His Greek name is Elamas. This guy was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul Sergius Paulus was the highest ranking Roman official, okay? He was the big gun. And, 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 and Elamas is a, an, an attendant, but it's really more of an advisor. And, and so what he would do, and you can imagine this, it happens in governments. Um, those of you old enough to remember Nancy Reagan, right? Looking for help from astrology, looking for help from magic. If you're running a country, it's not easy. And so looking for help from something like that, all right? And so that's where Elamus came in, all right? He was, again, you're not supposed to like him. I don't like him. Elamus was a Jewish huckster who had worked his way into a very comfortable life, all right? He was, he was just a worm. I mean, he was just a, a scummy guy, all right? The proconsul, however, was an intelligent guy. And he sent for Barnabas and Saul. Must have heard about the good news of Jesus. He sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. Okay? And so Elamus hears about this. <laughs> All right? Elamus the sorcerer hears about this, for that is what his name means. And he opposed him. And, and he tried to turn the proconsul from the faith because he realized something. And, and we need to understand this when we think about the gospel going out, the good news of Jesus going out, whether it's locally or around the globe. The word of God was a threat to Elamus' comfortable life. Elamus could read the tea leaves, all right? He, he, was, not a, he was not an honest fortune teller, but he could tell his own future. Uh, and, and, and he knew that if the proconsul, if Sergius Paulus becomes a Christ follower, he's out. And he's going to lose all his influence. He's going to lose all his comfort. And he's going to lose all of his fun. And he's going to lose all of his money and all of that stuff. And, 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 and the fact is the gospel sometimes does that. It threatens the community around us. The power structures around us, it often is a threat to say, no, no, you don't have power. Jesus does. I'm not going to worship you. I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm no longer going to be controlled by you. I'm going to worship Jesus. And so Elamus knows that this is a dangerous thing, and that's why he just actively, actively works and tries to stop the good news from reaching others. Okay? I'll come back to why that's important in a minute. 
this is what, right? So Saul and, and Barnabas are there. They're going to preach the good news to, to uh, Sergio, Sergius Paulus. Elamis is in, they're liars. They, you don't listen to them. Get rid of them. They're just this, they're that. And this is where Saul, Paul, gets right in his face. He is so ticked off right now. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, here we got the transition. Again, from the rest of the book, he's going to be Paul. Filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? This is not just him being a jerk, but filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked straight at Elamis. I mean, I think he looked into his soul at this moment. He looked straight at him, and I think he had a finger out. And he said, and these are the words that make me uncomfortable. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and treachery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, some of us hear that and we go, ooh, that's cringeworthy. That's not really tolerant language, right? <laughs> I mean, come on, would Jesus talk this way? He did a few times. But I look at this and there's a part of me that's just like, oh Lord, when have I ever sounded like that to anybody? When I, I want to be nice to everybody. I want to be, just give them the benefit of the doubt. I want to say, Elamis, you know what? This is really great news for you too. Let me tell you how you, no. As he gets in his face. Now, some of you are going, amen. That's what we need, Ron. More preaching that calls those enemies the spawn of Satan. That's what we need from the, maybe we do. I don't know, but, but I do know this. I do know this. There is a place for Christians to be confrontational. In some ways, I don't like that. I want us always, always, but there's a place for us to be willing to speak out. Now, I want us to be really careful about that. I don't know exactly where they are, but I want us to remember two things about Elamis that, that I think made Saul get to this point, made Paul get to this point. First, he's somebody who should have known better. He was Jewish. He should have known that this was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah, that this was God's word. Jesus spoke strongly like this. I mean, he called people whitewashed tombs. He called people names, but it was always the religious leadership, okay? It was always people who should have known better. He didn't, he didn't go after people who shouldn't have known better and called them. No, it was, always, it was always somebody who should have known better. And so too, when we get really confrontational, I think we want to be careful about, is that there? And, 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 and again, Elimus is not neutral. He's actively getting in the way of the good news. Okay? But there is a place. And I'm praying that God will give me the courage in those places to say, you're wrong. I'm not going to try it. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. Now, when he says child of the devil, I don't think he's saying you are the spawn of Satan, okay? And if that's a naughty word, I'm sorry. But, I, um, but you are a child. It's more of a follower or a tool, okay? You are being used by Satan just as Barnabas and Saul were set aside to be used by God, you are a child of the devil. And, and do you remember we talked about Bar, a son of salvation? You are, no, you're not Bar Jesus. You're not Bar Yeshua. You're, not the son, you're the son of the devil. You're not following Jesus. You're following the devil. And, and he's using you. It, it, it's not that different than something Peter had heard back in Matthew, Jesus himself say. When, when Jesus had said, you know, I'm going to go to the cross, Peter said, no, we'll never let that happen. 
Do you remember what Jesus did? He, he turned. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I don't think he said Peter was forever. No, but you're a tool of Satan right now. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have, don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And so when people are actively, actively blocking the way, I think we have to say, no, you're, you're being used by Satan right now. You're being used by Satan. You are a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. You are blocking God's channel of grace. I'm sweating, sorry. You are full of all kinds of deceit and, and trickery. You're just a liar. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, this is one that's interesting in the Greek. If we translate it more literally, then some of you might recognize what this is a reference to. Some of you might. But will you never stop making crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Isaiah 40, verse 3. This is what God calls us to do. All right? This is, this is, to, this is the, the call of God for us. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We are called to make straight highways for God to come to people. And Elamus was making a crooked one. He, he, was, he was taking a straight path and making it crooked. He was, you're being used by the devil to get in the way of what God is doing. And sometimes it's okay to use strong language. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him. And he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Familiar to some of us. Again, if you were with us, you might remember what happened when Saul was met by Jesus. He went blind, right? And the language is really similar. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing, not even the light of the sun. He could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, okay? And, and so now Elamus is being led by the hand. Elamus is blind. And in some ways, I think what Luke wants us to know is, is that when we become blockages to people seeing Jesus, we lose our sight. And what's happened to people who keep others from seeing Jesus, they become blind. And, and, and so what happens to Elamus? One of the things, I don't know. I, 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 he's one person I really want to know if he's going to be in heaven with us. There's a little hint, and I hold to this, Back in the first part of verse 11, it says, Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time. It wasn't a permanent blindness. And I'm praying that when Elamus, when his eyes opened, he saw Jesus. So, Elamus, it's a confrontation. And again, God's power is always going to win. So Saul, Paul, filled with the Spirit, gets in the face of a Jewish sorcerer. And then real quickly, we'll finish with this, the third one. The highest Roman official on the island of Cyprus believes in Jesus. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. When he saw this happen, he believed, for he was amazed. And, and this is really important, because some people say, well, I don't know if he was a real Christian, because he just saw this miracle, and he said, well, this magic is better than my old magic, so I'll follow this magic. But he was amazed about the teaching of the Lord, Right? about the teaching about the Lord. He wasn't as amazed by the miracle he was about the truth about Jesus Christ. And so I think what we have here is, is the first clear named convert on the first missionary journey. So let's wrap it up here. What do we learn? What do we learn? Three things. Again, the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. 
If we are in step with the Spirit, part of what we will continue to do here is, is we will send and support missionaries. Strong confront- confrontation is sometimes necessary. Be really, 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 really careful. Sometimes, sometimes it's necessary. And the good news of Jesus is for everyone. Even a guy like Sergius Paulus, a Roman through and through. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for these words. Thank you for these truths. Send your spirit, Father, to speak and lead and guide and form us today just like you did then. Give us a heart that seeks to send. Father, give us wisdom and courage to know how and when to speak out in your name and to confront the darkness of the world around us. We know you want to overcome it by love, but Father, sometimes we need to speak the truth. And and so give us the courage to know when that is. And Lord, just remind us if we're praying for somebody who's not yet come to you that your spirit is still at work in their lives. And the gospel is strong. So, Lord, we just pray for all those we don't know who need to come back home to you that they will do that. So we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.